Welcome to the Fi Investors Podcast, helping you achieve financial independence through real estate investing, one episode at a time. We talk about personal finance, mindset, and real estate investing. Whether you're a rookie or looking to scale your portfolio, we're here to provide you with the tactics and actionable steps to achieve your goals. Here are your hosts, Diego Corzo and Ward Mahoney. What is up, Ward? How are you today? Diego, my man, I am stoked for our first episode here today with co-living expert, Sam Weigert, brother. Yes, yes. He is our first guest for the Fi Investors Podcast. And I'm super excited because I've been friends with Sam for the past, I would say, nine years. Uh, we, we got connected through GoBundance. I've seen his journey. Um, he was one of the reasons why I was so inspired with his story is because he started his entrepreneurial journey super early. Mm -hmm. And then by the time that I met him and he was 23, he was already a millionaire and just like how he lived his life, uh, how he grew his portfolio and now he's killing it through co-living have, I think he said he had over 150 doors right now and growing and just the transition of, of going from business side to real estate side and you see his growth. And uh, not only on that, on the monetary side, but also the person that he is uh, through learning and growing through the Tony Robbins events and the mindset. And uh, yeah, I feel like the audience is definitely going to take a lot from it. He definitely dropped some knowledge bombs, mm -hmm. uh, quotes for people to write down. So I'm super excited for, uh, for this podcast. Awesome, man. Yeah. If you are young, you're hungry, you're looking to get into real estate, whether it's house hacking, want to live about co-living, this is yes. a killer episode yes. and you cannot miss this one. Yes. I'm stoked for everybody who's about to, and, about to see it. And also one of the things that he even mentioned was that even if you're older and you want to get into co-living, he mentioned a few strategies of how you can partner up and also continue to grow. So this podcast is awesome. There's a lot of knowledge on it. So enjoy it and we'll see you next time. Yes, sir. We'll see you soon. Awesome. Sam, how are you doing? Welcome to the Fi Investor Podcast. Thanks, guys. Honored to be on. This is awesome. Love yeah. the setup. Love, love being on. Love seeing all you guys. Thank you. Yes, yes. And Ward, how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Sam, stoked to have you here. This is uh, one of our first episodes. Sam is one of our first guests. He's got an incredible story, and I cannot wait to, uh, to dive deep into, uh, into Sam's story here. Yes. And uh, Sam, it is an honor to have you here as part of uh, on the Fi Investors podcast. We had you also as a speaker at the Fi Investors Retreat in Puerto Rico. So that was awesome. And I know that the audience is definitely going to take a lot of uh, a lot of great gems uh, from the from this podcast. Your story is super inspiring. Uh, it inspired me when I met you back in 2014, I think. And uh, and it's been it's been incredible to see your growth. And uh, to see how have you been, how you've gone from um, your martial arts school to everything that you're building now, going on the Airbnb, the co-living route, and just everything that you're doing. So can't wait to hear more more about it. So tell us, Sam, tell us a little bit about yourself, how how you got started, and uh, and also we'll share a little bit later on how we met and everything. Yeah, man. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's been a journey, right? I think you. I think that's a great word to describe any any entrepreneurial pursuit. Is like it just uh, you know you never really know where it's going to take you. So you know I got started at a really young age. Um, I was homeschooled, 
And uh, my parents kind of were wanted to live this like off the grid lifestyle, which uh, interestingly enough is coming back. They were like doing it before anybody was doing it. And now it's like coming back. People want to do it now. But so they decided to homeschool all eight of their children. So I'm, I'm one of eight. And, um, you know, I was homeschooled and I just had this I had this drive from a young age. And Diego, I know you and I have connected on this of like. I just wanted to prove that I could be somebody, you know, and, and for me, the way that I thought I could do that was to make more money than everybody else, you know? And so it just gave me this drive to like be somebody and go out into the world. And so I had this opportunity. I was taking martial arts at the time as my mom put me in, we all got one sport each and my one sport was martial arts. And I had to give up soccer to do martial arts. Cause my mom was like, I'm, I can't take eight kids to two things. Like it was one thing. Right. So we did this one thing and mine was martial arts. And I was, t- I was at this school and my instructor was just, getting to a place we were in a very very small town and he was burnt out and he came to me one day and said man i want you to join like my instructor training program and i was like 13 at the time i was very young but i but i acted older than i was i was very mature you know for my age and so i uh i said sure yeah i'd love that so i joined my parents really supported it they wanted me to have as many mentors as i could at a young age which you know i'm just commend my parents for so much they had so much humility to like put their kids around other people who could be like father and mother figures. And that was huge, man. I mean, like I would, I just, I feel like I have a, I have like multiple second fathers and I love my dad. My dad was a huge mentor in my life, but I had all these multiple second fathers and, you know, people in go buttons. I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, Diego, but um, anyway, this guy ended up selling me this school at 15 years old for $15,000. <laughs> my parents loaned wow. me the money uh, to, to buy this school. It was a little, it was a little martial arts school, had about 90, I think we had 98 students when I bought it. And um, I just was like, that was my entrepreneurial journey, man. And that was what really got me started on this journey. Uh, you know, it's, it's really a journey because it's, it's come a long way since then. But um, I, I set out to prove that I could do something. And I, I, I built that school up. I sold that school. I, I went to a town called Charlottesville, Virginia, where the University of Virginia is. And I, I built a school. I started in a little hotel room, actually. I, uh, I rented this hotel room not like a room you sleep in with a bed, but like a little conference room, but it was the smallest conference room that I could have. And it was 10, it was, uh, I went back and measured it later. I think it was like 12 feet by 12 feet. It's like small as crap, you know? And I would, I would go on the street corner and I would just hand out my cards, hand out all my cards from a martial arts studio. And uh, they would come to this hotel and I would sell them on the program. And then uh, that was how we built what became one of the largest, most successful schools in the United States. It was in the top 1% for many years. I've since, uh, I'm in the process of actually selling that school right now, but um, it was a, it was a huge, it was a huge success. And then I, and then I, from there, I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, where I built additional schools and I built a, a small franchise of about six locations in an online program with uh, several thousand students. And so martial arts was my first foray into, into, into business, into entrepreneurship. It taught me so much, so many lessons uh, along the way. So I can go deeper into that yes. if you want, or dive um, into real estate, but that's kind of like a, if people ask me like how I got started, yeah. that's, that's kind of how I got started. Yeah. Yeah. And so I do want to ask you a couple of questions there and then we'll switch to real estate, uh, on how yeah, you man. got started on, on, on that journey. But what were, so a lot of people, right. They want to start as an entrepreneur or start investing in real estate at a young mm-hmm. age. And you were basically giving the keys to a business at age 15, yeah. Uh, what were some fears that, for example, went through your mind uh, at such a young age of, hey, it's like, I don't know what I don't know in this business. I'm just going to say yes. But what were some fears or challenges that that you had as you took over a business? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, 
one of the biggest is just like, am I enough? Right. <laughs> Can I actually do this? Mm -hmm. like, and I think that's an inherent fear in every human being. But I mean, if we're just being real, I would just say like, you know, the thing about running a business is um, the rent is due, you know, we leased a space, right? Mm -hmm. We had a brick and mortar space. And so you have bills and you got a few staff members. And I didn't have a lot of staff members when I bought that first school. I was maybe me and two part-timers. But um, yeah, just like, I, I think it's such a tendency in business to tie your self-worth to your success. Mm -hmm. And you have to disconnect those a little bit. Maybe initially that's a nice drive, but if you don't, you will be just effed because every time you'll have a little dip, you feel terrible about yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Or every time you don't hit your numbers, you feel terrible. So I think, I think one of my challenges was, you know, if I had a month that was, that was not, it was just so closely tied to my self-worth that like, if I was making money, I just felt like I was, I'd almost be cocky, mm -hmm. you know, if I was doing well in my brain, what well meant at the time, you know? Yeah. And if I wasn't doing well, I just felt like something was wrong with me. I was like, what am I doing wrong? You know? So I think that was, um, was, uh, was an, it was, that's an interesting challenge that I haven't really thought about in a long time, but I think getting started, that was, that was a big one. Yeah. Um, more practical challenges were just, you know, learning how to recruit students and do that in a way that was like, uh, cost effective. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about online marketing. And so we went old school, man. And I think it's a good lesson for people who start businesses that like the old school stuff still works. And when I say old school, I mean, like I would go to, you know, parades that were happening in downtown and I would just walk the parade line before you know, the parade actually started where everybody's like lining up and I would just hand out my cards. You know, I had this little script I would use and I would get an appointment from them to, you know, so I'd do that. Every fair, every festival I was there. I mean, we'd go in, we'd print off a thousand flyers and I would just hit every parking lot. And that was, a thousand flyers would probably hit every car in this little city, right? But like <laughs> I would, I would go to every, you know, and put under windshield and this, this stuff worked, right? I'd stand out in front of a, a gas station actually for the longest time and just, ask people as they were coming out, like, Hey, and I know you're involved in some, some, you know, a company that does like cold calling, right. Mm -hmm. And some of the stuff, like some people think this stuff doesn't work, but like this stuff still works. It's just the, it's just the grind. Mm -hmm. You just got to get in front of an, it's, it's a numbers game, right? So every, every no gets you closer to a yes. Right. With these like little sayings that I would just say, uh, to myself to keep me going. But ultimately it was like, if I go out and talk to hundred people today, I'm going to get 10 that are going to tell me yes. And they'll come in for an appointment and half of those will come in. And so just realizing that there's really two big skills you have to have in life. And this is something Tony Robbins has taught me is that one to be the most successful in life, you have to have the science of achievement. Mm -hmm. And he uses the word science because the science of achievement is just that it's just a science. It's, it's literally like numbers. Like it's like, Hey, if you're not successful, you're either in the wrong, you're either doing the wrong things. You're not doing enough of the right things. Right. And so, um, recognizing that like, it doesn't matter what your age is, doesn't matter what your background is, your ethnicity, your race, like anybody can become successful if they just follow the science. Um, and then the other, the other skill that I've had to learn more recently is the art of fulfillment. And Diego, you've been a big inspiration to me on this. And that is like, and it's an art. And I use, you use the word art because it's, it's different for every single person. Mm -hmm. Like we all have like little things and tweaks and things that make us different that are fulfilled. So, um, Learning the science was a big piece of what I learned along that first part of the journey. Yeah, and I feel like the science part is something that people can, um, they can get from experience. They can also mm. learn from books. They can learn a little bit on podcasts, right? But it's the the art is something that's more internal. 
that it's similar yes. to what you said about the uh, that in the beginning your self-worth right was more on if you had a profit or if you made income that month and if you didn't oh my gosh you're a failure right and looking right. at it when when was the time that you um uh that you decided that that wasn't the best way to look at uh, at how you felt, right? And 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 at that point becomes more the art, right? Of the of you right. saying, hey, you know what? The money doesn't attach to it. Shouldn't attach to what how I feel if I'm a success or a failure. Um, when when did that change started happening for you? Yeah, it, it changed. Um, I know exactly when it started to change. It didn't change immediately, <laughs> but I. I, so I was probably 22 years old. I was, I was in Charlottesville, Virginia, and I was like on cloud nine because my school was doing super well. And I had a mentor call me up and he said, Hey man, there's these five martial arts schools that are just failing and they're all in Charlotte, North Carolina. Like you should go down and you should buy them. And like, I'll broker the deal. It's one of my mentors. He's like, I'll broker the deal. He's like, you've got your brother already running your school in Virginia. So like, I thought I had like retired. I was like 20s. I was like, I'm making four grand a month, you know, five grand. I wasn't a ton, but I was like making enough to like live my little lifestyle. Right. And so I'm like, okay, I'll do this. So I moved to Charlotte's Charlotte, North Carolina. And I bought these schools. I spent, spent basically my life savings. I mean, everything I'd saved. I'm a big saver. So everything I'd saved and sold some of my old silver, you know, I buy these silver coins and I, I sold like all my little mini investments, you know? And, um, what happened is all the staff members ended up quitting within the first like two months and you can't run a martial arts school without staff. Right. So they all quit. They all were all like, no, like you're not part of our organization. I thought I could just go in and be Tony Robbins and inspire them a little bit and then do that. And it, it was my self-worth and my success were so tied together at that time in my life. I remember I lived across the street from this little very like public uh, old golf course. And I would go out there late at night and I would just like, I had so much stress in my body, man. I would just like scream at the top of my lungs. I remember being like so angry. I was just like yelling on this golf course at like 10 p.m. at night. Like I just like walked the golf course and be like, what the F is going on in my life? And looking back on it, it seems silly now because I was just like, hey, one of my, like my schools were failing. I had to like basically lost my life savings. Not, you know, I ended up having to give one of the schools I bought. I just had to give it back to the guy. And then mm. he's, he's, he was like, fine, I'm going to sue you because, uh, you know, you, you were supposed to take over the lease. And I was like, I can't pay the lease. So it was just one of these really low times in my life. And I thought, hmm, maybe this is not how I want to live my life with these things tied that close together. And it started me off on that journey of, and again, Diego, this is something you've taught me in a lot of ways, but like, you know, started me off on this journey of like, why am I trying to be so successful? And I realized I'm trying to be so successful because I want to feel certain feelings. And a lot of times the shortcut is just to go to the feeling mm -hmm. <laughs> like, oh, I want to feel um, I want to feel connection with other people or uh, I want to feel, you know, confidence. Like you can go straight to those feelings. There's other ways to get them than having to do this whole big goal, you know, to create those. So th that was the moment that started to shift yeah. for me. No, that's good. That's good. Especially, and, and I'm glad that, of course, it was seven years into your entrepreneur journey, but it happened it was, young yeah. enough that now you're what, like 31, 32? Yeah. So it's yeah. like you now you've had 10 years of experience now after you had that uh, that change of mind. And I bet you and I can yeah. and I know that it has uh, that that has that that transition has helped you in a huge way because now you have so many huge different way. businesses, too, and so many different things uh, on the real estate that that we are going to get to. 
in a bit, but uh, I don't know, Ward, yeah. do you have any questions or anything on... Yeah. yeah, Sam, something you mentioned twice here was just the role of mentors. Can you walk us through how you found these mentors? Because you said it's starting at 15, you had a bunch of different mentors. And then what role did they, did they play uh, as you were going out and acquiring these businesses as early as 15 years old? Yeah, man, that, that's something I just got super lucky in. And, and so when I bought that school at 15... Before that instructor that sold that school to me, before he took off and went professional bass fishing, which was like his dream. So it's what he, he went off to go focus on the fulfillment <laughs> side of things, right? Um, he said, the one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to hire. He's like, you're going to pay them, but I'm going to hire you a consultant. And that consultant is going to like hold your hand. You're only 15. He'll, he'll literally show up at your school. He'll give you scripts. He'll teach you. And I look back on that. And even though later I did have a falling out with that consultant. I would not be sitting here on this podcast with you today without mm -hmm. that guy. I mean, it's that type wow. of just, there are just people in life who do so well. You two are, you two are two of those people who just, the, part of their mission in life is to guide others, you know? And this was this guy, his name was Master Arthur. He was a, he was a you know, a black belt, a really powerful black belt, but also a, a business consultant. And I just, he, he gave me a franchisable system. He just, I just, I, you know, for the first few years, I just did what he said. And I, and, I, and I wish people that had mentors would just do that more. Like a lot of times you first have to model, you first have to copy. And once you learn by copying, you can then go and adjust and adapt. But I think a lot of people hear stuff and they always try to like, I feel like they try to make it their own too mm -hmm. soon. You know, they're like, oh, well, I'm, you know, and they adjust it all. And so I, I was really lucky in that I didn't know any better. I just was like, well, he says to do it. Like, I don't know any better. I'm just going to go do what he says. And I went and did what he said. I mean, literally, it's super stuff. He'd be, he'd be like, wear a name tag that says, ask me about martial arts. So I'd like wear a name tag for the next week, like everywhere I'd go. With with, you know, like things like that to get new students. That's awesome. I was real. So, so that, that was literally kind of put in my lap ward. And then. And then that mentor taught me the value of mentors. And so it was like Tony Robbins was the next guy, right? And I, you know, never really met him. I've shook his hand, but never really like met him, met him. But still from afar, I've listened to like everything he's produced and everything that he's put out because he really resonated with what I needed to learn. And I feel like when people find a mentor um, that's right for them, there's something about them that will resonate. And, uh, and, and then I think it's just important that people just kind of like do what they say, especially if they really tr truly believe that they have integrity. Um, yeah, I'm a big learner by doing too mm -hmm. <laughs> and taking action. So that was the biggest mm -hmm. way that I learned was actually diving in and doing that. But, um, how else did I find mentors? I guess I, I guess I found a lot of mentors just by being in that environment and the Tony environment. That's really big to have mentors. Um, and then joining abundance, we can dive into that yeah. if you want Diego, but, uh, you know, yeah. just always feeling like I wanted to be the, the small fish in a big pond. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And, 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 and eventually just growing into that was really important. It was something I just valued from a really, really young age. And I think my parents modeled it. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's true too with the mentors is that success leaves clues, right? And if you understand that from the beginning, then you know yes. that if they're telling you what to do, and like you said, you trust them and they have integrity, is more of like, okay, yes. I'm trusting you, let's go. Because that's what happened when I joined the guys in GoBundance, right? And and I want you to share a right. little bit on that story too, because I feel like uh, once you're surrounding yourself with those mentors and you take action, that is the shortcut, uh, I think, to success. And a lot of people say there are no shortcuts. I, I believe that that is the one shortcut that exists in life. 
uh, that of course you might have to pay for them. You might have to work for free for them. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you do take action, it will give you a shortcut to success. Yeah. So Sam, yeah, tell us a little huge. bit about uh, how you got involved um, with GoBundance because uh, that's actually where where you and I met. Yeah, yeah, it was man, it was um, so much in my life as I look back at my life, and I think this is important for people to realize too. Is like life. We we started this podcast off with like life's a journey, right? And so for people to kind of lean into that journey and not fight it too hard, and so you know, I think that life provides us the opportunities we need at the right moment. I really believe that. I know that sounds woo-woo and maybe a little airy-fairy for a, for a success podcast, but I mean, I think if people were to just pay more attention, right, to the opportunities, to the people, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, like this is the universe, this is God, whatever you want to call it, right, is like you're listening to this, like it's providing you some little some little clues, like you're saying, or some little bumps. I just think people are so busy, they just don't listen to those. So, you know, for me, it, it wasn't like I, I was seeking, but I, it really kind of came to me. Like I always say it found me, right. A lot of, like a lot of these things do. And I just, I, I say yes, yes. to the opportunities. And I know that all three of us on this podcast are like big yes. on that too. It's like, there's opportunities and, that come. Yeah, you go. And it's like, exactly. And yes. really quick, cause you mentioned this on the universe part yesterday, I posted a story that said, imagine that the universe it, or I, I mentioned, what if you had the belief that the universe is conspiring 100% in your favor? Like, how would you act, wow. right? And it's similar to how yeah. to, to what you're talking about. It's like the universe gives you little yeah. clues here or there uh, that actually help you, that, that get to help you if you choose that philosophy. If you choose. If you say yes, like my dad would always say, like, say yes, unless you have like a super damn good reason to say mm -hmm. no. Like say yes, like, like, like that is yes to life. Be a hundred percent yes to life. And, 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 but what happens is like our mindset gets in the way, man. Like, oh, I want to join fine investors. Oh, well, there's this cost. And then, then we put all these little, these little barriers. Oh, it's this time commitment or this. And it's like, guys, like at the end of the day, if, if it's there, it's there for a reason. Like it's calling you and you, people just need to lean into that and kind of lean into those fears is, is what I found. So I had to do that with GoBundance. Um, I was looking for a mastermind. It was just at the time in my life where I felt like I had outgrown some of my other mentors. And that's a valuable principle too, by the way, like for people listening to this, like you do outgrow mentors. Like, absolutely. Like I read a book by Andre Agassi, who was like a really amazing, like one of the best in the world tennis players. And like, if you read his book, I forget, it was called the, forget his autobiography, but it's a really good book. He, and he, he talks about how like he would kind of outgrow a coach and he'd be, he'd talk to his manager and be like, we need a new coach, <laughs> like fire the old one, get a new coach. Like that's just how it rolls. And so um, that's definitely been my journey of like, I've had a mentor, I would have a mentor for a while. And I'd be like, cool, man. Like I'm, I've, I've been with you for three, four years. I feel like I've learned a lot from you. I've implement, implemented, obviously being one of the key, uh, you'll never outgrow a mentor. That's if You true. never implement what they say. That's, <laughs> that's a key point. Like if you, if you implement everything they say, then it's easy to go and be like, I've implemented everything you've said. And now I'm, I'm like, I need, it feels like I need to move on to the next mentor. So that was, a, that was definitely a, a, a piece of my journey. I would have a consultant then I would hire another consultant and I would kind of just move on. I'd stick one with one for three to four years and um, maybe sometimes longer. And then uh, I was in a place where I had just kind of, I'd been with my other consultant uh, in my martial arts business for four or five years. And I just felt like it was time. I'd implemented a ton of what he said. I felt like it was time to move on to the next group. And um, I just was so, I was at an event. So I guess here's the principle. Like if you, if you don't do anything, you get nothing, right? Like I was out there, I was seeking. You know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is seek and you shall find, right? Like, so like I'm out there, I'm seeking, I'm looking. 
and it, and then it came to me. So maybe I was really looking for it now that I'm telling the story. It was fa- found me. I found it. I'm not exactly sure. But, you know, there was a guy, Mo Chomil, who I think you know. Uh, of course. And, and he was there. He was in Gobanati. He goes, hey, he's like, hey, man, like, I'm just so impressed with you. You're out here. You're so young. You're at bus- I was at a seminar called Business Mastery. And he's like, why don't you just like, let's hang out. Let's let's grab dinner tonight. So I grabbed dinner with them and we went to, we went, hung out that night. And, and then uh, a year later, he just, I pinged him because I was in Washington, DC and that's where he lived. And he was like, oh man, like come meet up with me. So I met up with him and then he's like, there's this thing and it's just starting and it's guys only, which I was kind of looking for like a guys only group, you know, cause I wasn't married at the time. And I just thought I needed some good male role models, you know, some additional male role models in my life. And so um, he invited me to an event. It was the event I met you at. It was in Tahoe. I think we met yes, on a call right met before on that. A David Osborne call. But it, and you shared about your car and your goal. Yeah. And I was like, holy crap. I was like super inspired because uh, you were sharing about how you had a goal to have a Corvette or some 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 car. Yeah. And uh, I was 24 Corvette, years old yeah. at that time. And you were 23, yeah. I believe. And I was like, holy crap, this guy's 23 years old. He's already a millionaire. And I just want to learn from him. So after that, I pinged you. So, yep. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, it was great to connect with you. That was a magical moment. And then I think the first event we exactly. had, Robert Kiyosaki was there talking about real estate. What an event. And these guys just, yeah, what a, what a lesson they taught me. I mean, it was like, hey, they pulled me aside. I feel like the GoBundance guys pulled me aside and said, hey, your business is doing good. Like my martial arts business at that time was doing pretty good. But they said, skim money off the top and, and diversify a little bit. Put it into something that will be here even if your business doesn't do good. Don't put mm-hmm. it all back in the business. And that was such a valuable lesson for me because, you know, obviously – five, six, seven years later, whatever, COVID hits. He shuts my business down for six months. Um, my CEO decides to go get on drugs and I have to fire him. And like, you know, the business takes a big hit from both of those both of those things combined. I decided to sell some of the schools. And so here I am having built this mm-hmm. whole other engine, if you will. And that was very, very, yeah. very valuable at that point, at, the, and, at that point in my life. So, And Sam, if um, we take it back to the GoBundance event, and here's where we can start talking a little bit about the, um, about the real estate part. Uh, tell me a little bit about what Robert Kiyosaki told you at that event, because uh, you and I were next to each other uh, when when you share a little bit of the strategy that that you um, of yeah. how you invest. Yeah, and I mean, look, I've co- I've come to believe that this strategy in this market today is one of the fa- one of if not the fastest and and simplest ways to achieve financial mm-hmm. freedom in the real estate market right now, um, just with interest rates being where they are and everything everything happening in the economy. And it's through this thing called co-living. I don't even think we knew no. the word co-living. House hacking. That time. It was we there. It was house, house hacking. hacking. Right? That was the thing. It's like we're, yeah, we are yeah. house hacking yeah. every single house. <laughs> yeah. So, so we'd live in a house and Diego, you did this too. And we just, we would rent out the rooms and, you know, I would buy another house. I'd buy a house, rent out the rooms, live in the master. And then I'd live in it for one year, you know, so I could get another primary residence mortgage every year right and then i would live in the next house and i'd fill the master the primary bedroom up in that one and then i'd go to the next one right and i did that three or four times and it was making double or triple the cash flow you know versus renting it out to a single family but i didn't have the confidence to like go all in on the strategy and so that's why i was so excited because robert kiyosaki was there and, you know, he's the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and just kind of the, the OG of real estate, you know, at least education in a lot of ways for us Americans. And and basically he was, I said, hey, man, I'm doing this thing. Like, can, I, is it going to work? And he says, man, that is the wave of the future, I believe. And I, I literally, I'm like taking notes. I'm like the wave of the future. He goes, I think 
when when shit hits the fan, he goes, this is how people are going to choose to live because it's affordable and there's a community built in. So people are going to feel safer. And then he said, he leans in and he goes, uh, he goes, actually, I live in a 4,500 square foot house and I already know how I'm going to like co-live and break up my house into like six different units. And I remember thinking, well, if it's good enough for Robert Kiyosaki, it's good enough for me. And he was like, I know people who are doing this. They're turning living rooms and dining rooms into extra bedrooms. They're putting six, seven, eight, nine people. At that point, I think I'd most put like four or five people in a home. And I was like, whoa. So he inspired me to take it even to a new level of having more people share a house in a really cool way. And he just gave me that confidence to yeah. go all in. No, and that's awesome. That. That's awesome. And I was at that event uh, with you. And uh, that was that was also my first GoBundance, um, like the one with like 200 people or or whatever with with a special guest and it was just so inspiring and and having you as a roommate too was good because we would uh we would learn and have these conversations right with with the guys with the speakers and then we would go back to the hotel and be like all right what did you learn what did i learn and just share for hours so so yeah right right it's like a mini event it's it's always great to connect with people at events like that if you can have a room with someone or share space with someone because you get to have like an event within the event mm -hmm, right back and, in the and room, one thing right? I, I want to point out yeah, there we too so the thing that gave you that confidence to really go out and jump into co-living it sounds like it was that that event it was surrounding yourself with like-minded individuals um having that conversation with robert kiyosaki that's yes. really kind of what gave you the push to go out and and, and do that kind of what you were saying earlier what yeah. about like like mentors right like just the role that they play in lives yeah like i would not i'm not sure i would have like continued to buy houses with that strategy cuz no one else was really doing it at the time i would diego you right. there was people doing it but no one else was like doing it at scale no one else was like pouring tons of money into it so i, I it was really the strategy for me of like Yes, it was a mentor and that event that surrounded me with the confidence to say, go all in, like you can do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, as I said, that's awesome. Because the other thing too is that I know you walk into that room with Ingo Abundance and all of a sudden like the, the level of conversation is, is so yeah. elevated. It pushes you just on a whole new level to yeah. go out and, uh, and just achieve so much more. Yeah. I have a little story around that actually that would be valuable for people. It's um, it's it's actually a story Tony tells. Tony went and spoke to like these um, these re recon marines. I think it like it was a group of recon marines, and um, he he gave this whole talk in in this you know in front of like a thousand marines, and then he was riding in the car home with the general. Um, it went and he was just talking about the talk, and the general was like, "Man, it was so great, it was so great." And and the general then expressed some sadness. He goes, "The thing is, he's like, we've done the studies." After people leave the Marines, a lot of times their quality of life decreases. Like their standard of life is the highest when they're in the Marines. And Tony just, and this is the Tony Robbins story. He said, that's because your level will, you will always rise to the level of the expectations of your peers. And the general was like, that's really good. Can you say that again? And Tony was like, I don't know if I can say that again. He was like, but he says your, your, your level, the level of, of who you are in life always rises to the level of the expectations of your peer group, of the people around you. And so I feel like that is the power of being in a group, whether it's Fi Investors or GoBundance or whatever. You know, I feel like that's the power of the group is like, these people actually expect more of you. Yeah. They're like, you're, you know, one of my, you know, one of my favorite things that, one of my favorite ways to coach people is just to tell them like, Hey, I really believe like if someone does something that I just feel like is so subpar, I'll be like, Hey man, like I love you. And like, you're better than that. 
And I, and I mean it in a little, like you're, you are actually better than that. It's like a way to, you know, and I, I, I like that because it's just like calling people to a higher standard. And so I love, that's why I love what you guys do because it's like you, if you create an environment that just expects people to step up and have success. People will rise to that level. It's like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do here. We could go into why, like we're tribal in our nature. And so we have to stay in rapport with people around us. Like I can't, you know, I can't golf with, with good golfers because they just hate golfing with me. Right. And I'm like, they're so much better. Like they're just like, Hey Sam, we love you. But like, we're going to golf with someone that can actually shoot straight down the fairway. And I'm like, right, left. Right. Oh, so, man. um, my point is, yeah. Like if I want to hang with the good golfers, like I got to freaking get better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And Sam to, to take it back, um, on the co-living side, what, what does your portfolio look like now? And then I want to, then I want to get into like, how you got started on the real estate side so that people that want to get started co-living, they understand whether they want to do it like the quote unquote house hacking way, but also be able to do it, uh, how you're doing it now and how you're teaching others how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So we're doing, I probably have, and it fluctuates. We've, we've sold a few and we just bought, uh, we just bought, I think 19 more rooms. Um, some of those are, some of those are getting filled right now, but we have, I think 155 doors that I own. So 155 rooms, I mm-hmm. guess I should say that we own. And we're managing about 35 more right now. Uh, in the, in two markets specifically, Charlotte, Charlotte, North Carolina and Asheville, North Carolina, two great North Carolina markets. Um, we have, uh, eight luxury, like really nice luxury short-term rentals. Um, and, uh, and then I own one commercial building that one of my martial arts schools is in. Okay. So that's kind of what my real estate portfolio looks like. And then yeah, I mean, look, here's the truth. Like I explained the difference between house hacking and co-living. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that like house hacking is like, usually people are living there, they're, it's, they're doing it to like live for free or live on less. Like it's, it's more of a live low play. Mm -hmm. Whereas co-living it's, it's really the same concepts. Co-living is just, is, is it like a sophisticated investment strategy? It's like you're buying a home specifically for the purpose of I'm going to rent this to eight people. And I'm probably never going to, you know, I may not even ever want to set foot in that house. It's an investment play. It's like, a mini multifamily unit is really what it is. Um, and we can dive into that more if you want to, but um, that's that's kind of how I explain the difference. Just it's really more the intention of what you, you're going after is, is what I think the difference in the word is. Yeah, I love that. So talk to me, what is your, because you said you, uh, you have 190 units that you manage, rooms, excuse me, to scale that. What is your buy box? What, do, what are you looking for? What's the ideal co-living property um, yeah. that you're looking for? Yeah, it, yeah, let's get into some of these specifics. So the buy box would be like anything larger than 2,250 square feet, non-HOA neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say like a B or a C area even, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I'm looking for, I need, to, I need to, before I even will go look at a property, I'm always going to look at it on like Google Street View and Google Earth just to make sure that there's street parking or there's parking enough for say however many bedrooms I think it can be. Um. And a little formula that I found that might be helpful for people if they're getting into co-living is like, I've just found that at 1500 square feet, a 1500 square foot house in almost, you know, in almost any market in the United States, it's going to be four bedrooms. And then every 250 square feet you add on to that, it's an additional bedroom. And so this is just a general rule, but 
you know, if it's 1,750 square feet or approximately that, it's a five bedroom house. I just know that, you know, and again, we're converting some rooms to bedrooms just to be really clear. We might convert a dining room or, or an extra living room or something. If it's a 2,000 square foot house, it's six bedrooms. If it's 2,250, it's seven. So by me telling you that I would only buy a 2,250 square foot house, that's basically me saying I would never buy anything less than seven bedrooms. It's another mm -hmm. way to put it just because I, I kind of know that that's what I can fit in that house and it's still feel good and feel like a, feel like a home to people. Um, you know, I'm looking for something newer than 1970, just because some pl plumbing and electrical got some good updates in the seventies. And so just to, just to not have to deal with that. Um, some of the older stuff is nice. So newer than 1970, as far as when it was built, um, doesn't have to be crazy updated. It can be, it can, it can, it can need some lipstick. I'm willing to put that lipstick on it. You know, I'm willing to paint. I'm willing to redo the cabinets if I need to. I'm willing to put new carpet in or whatever, because <clears throat> I'm already going to be probably putting some walls in and some doors. Um, I already told you non-HOA, uh, parking's a big one. Um, yeah, those are some of the, those are, those are the, those are the first biggest things. And then I look for the layout of the home would be the next one. Like, can I split it up into the number of rooms? If it's a super big open concept floor plan home, it's just, you got to stick walls in weird places. And I don't want to do that. Right. So I'm looking for a home that's like a little bit older, kind of already has a little bit more of a boxy format that it's just yeah. easy to add the rooms. Like maybe I just have to put up a door and a wall versus like three walls on a door or something like that. Awesome. 30 to then, 30 to 45 minutes from like a downtown area is really great. That's yeah. what I'm seeing in a lot of the larger markets. So, you know, as long as people can commute, if it's near public transportation, that's great. But that really depends on the city. Charlotte, there's like public transportation is total crap. Like you pretty much have to have a car to live here, right? Pretty much. Mm -hmm. So we've got to be, you know, within 30 minutes of downtown Charlotte is what works, what we found works best. And then if I'm 10 to 15 minutes drive from like some major employers, whether that's a big Amazon office or a big Walmart distribution center, or even just office buildings and stuff from 15 to 20 minutes from that, I'm looking for what my major employers are around that. That's, those are things I'm looking for as well. Awesome. And it sounds like, so the tenants that you're going after too, they're probably young, um, you know, working professionals, probably right out of college or something. Tell yeah. us a little bit more about your, your ideal tenant. Yeah, we're seeing two different, we're basically seeing two different types of uh, uh, avatars, if you will, for, for tenants. Mm -hmm. We're seeing tenants that are exactly that. They're coming out of college. So let's call them 22 to like 35. And they're single, no kids, not married. So, so not married, no kids. They have, you know, they work, uh, but maybe they have a lot of debt. And they're just, they just want to save money. They want to, they want to save money and they don't see the need necessarily to uh, get an apartment on, on their own. Um, and then we're seeing an older base too, like 55 plus that are on a fixed income kind of jump in and start to rent some of these places as well, because maybe their fixed income hasn't risen enough to like keep up with whatever their rent is. So they're, and they're willing to take that hit of like, I'll live with some people as long as it's clean and quiet and safe, which is what we really focus on making these homes clean, quiet, and safe. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're still seeing kind of an older population. Again, they might be a lot of times because we, because we don't do like couples to a room, like they'd have to rent two rooms. If it was a couple, yeah. we're finding they're, they're, they either have gone through a divorce. So they're in the later stage of their life, but they're divorced. They are, um, single, maybe their, maybe their husband or wife passed away or something like that. Um, that that's causing them to kind of look for an arrangement like this. Cool. Yeah. And how do you, how have you been financing these, these types of properties? Yeah, just through, 
uh, okay. So yeah, so there's a couple of ways. One, the first five I did through just it being my primary residence. So I would live in it for a short period of time, you know? I think technically mm-hmm. I was supposed to live in every one for a year. I think I pretty much did that. Maybe I cut yeah. one or two a little bit short, but you know, I'd live in it for a year and then I'd go buy the next one and I put my three and a half or 5% down, right? And get that really great loan. Yes. And, and then before, once I got, yeah. Really quick, Sam, um, yeah. for the audience here. So if you're going to be buying a single family house to house hack, yes. you can do it with an FHA loan, conventional loan, putting 3%, three and a half, yeah, percent yeah. down on F, on an FHA, three to five percent on a conventional, uh, and then USDA loan and VA loan, you can put zero percent. I just wanted to share that because I yeah. wanted to to let the audience know of how you can house hack with low money down if you're going to start the same way that you did with your first five. Yes, and I've seen I've seen some people too that are in my course that have like maybe they're not eligible to get that loan because they're living with their kids and their family. But what they'll do, like one guy thought it was so smart. He partnered with a young, he partnered with a kid. They went 50, 50 on it. And the kid was like 25, had a job. And like, he got this like three and a half percent loan down. And then the guy who was financing it, you know, he's married with kids. Like he's not going to move into a house to house hack. Right. Mm -hmm. But he was able to partner with this guy. He's, he's, this is like their plan over the next five years. They're going to buy five houses together. And this kid who's 22, which like he can move, right. He's Mm going to move five times. I thought that was just such a cool, like partnership hack of like finding a young person that like wants to do it and you can leverage their job and their, their loan ability and just, and and their ability to like consistently move for the once a year for the next five to seven years. I like that. Um, So that was, I wanted to share that as well. It was kind of a cool little hack that I, that I, that I heard that one of my guys is doing. Um, And then, yeah. So then after I did that for five or six houses, I just would buy, I would just get conventional investment loans. Um, which you can get up to 10 of those. And so I'd get conventional investment loans. And those were putting 20% down? 20% down, but still decent rates at the time. Mm -hmm. I got a couple of Airbnbs as second home loans. So I put those as, you know, 10% down. Um, And and, and again, decent rates as well. But those were just conventional. I could pretty much go to any bank and get those loans. And then once I maxed out at 10, what a lot of people don't know is that once you max out at 10 conventional investment loans, you can always buy another primary. So once a year, you can still always buy another primary. So I would just, I've consistently just continued to buy primaries and tried to get my wife to move, you know, and we'll use it for what <laughs> midterm rentals or long-term rentals. We, we're not, yeah, we don't like living in the house hack environment right now, but we'll do, we'll, we'll, we'll still use that strategy of the primary residence loan because it's just such a great loan, right? Yeah. Um. And then I would go to um, what they call DSCR loans, which mm. debt, ser- debt service coverage ratio loans are just mm. basically loans that are based on the income that that property is going to bring in. And so you're going to put 20 to 25% down on those. You're not going to get the best rates. You know, I think right now rates are going to be anywhere from seven to eight and a half, somewhere in there for a 30, but, it, but it's 30 year fixed debt. Mm-hmm. So it's really nice. And I'm hoping somebody comes out with a 40-year fixed one soon. Right. They're coming out with 40-year <laughs> mortgages. Have you guys heard about this? I have, yeah. Yes, I have. It's going to go, you know, that's going to make residential real estate go gangbusters again, right? Exactly. And that's, that's what's everybody so that could afford. Yeah, everybody that could afford a $500,000 house can now afford a $750,000 house. Like, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm, because we see it from the perspective of like, we, are, we can make that cash flow because then the cash flow, um, then the mortgage is less 
right? Technically. Uh, So then you can cash flow even more. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm even thinking about it just from like mom and mom and, you know, John and Susie who want to buy a house Mm -hmm. and right now they're priced out of the market. So they're renting or whatever, or they're just like stuck and they're like, Hey, we could only buy $400,000 houses, but now with a 40 year loan, we can buy a $700,000. I mean, it's going to, or $600,000 house or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's going to bring so much more money in my mind back to residential real estate. But I think it's very positive for residential real estate for 40 year mortgages. But anyway, um, debt service loans is how I've mostly bought most of the properties. Now, the one little hack that you have to do is these lenders, before they lend you the money, they're going to basically ask you like, how much is that property going to rent for? And a lot of times in today's market with such inflated prices, the amount that you can rent a property for to a single family is not going to cover your mortgage. Mm-hmm. And so, so a lot of times these lenders, they'll do this uh, thing they call, I think a 1035 or whatever. It's like a rent appraisal and they'll come back and be like, Hey, the rent's not going to cover the mortgage. We can't give you the loan or we have to reduce your loan to value or we give you less loan or whatever. We have to buy down the rate or all this crap. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the hack for that is to basically underwrite these homes, these co-living homes as Airbnb properties, Mm -hmm. because there are a few lenders. And when I say a few, I think there's probably three or four, maybe five in the United States total that will take a look at what the property you're buying will produce if it was rented out as an Airbnb. So they they take the data from this website called AirDNA Mm -hmm. and AirDNA is just a website that basically spits out how much they think your house is going to make on Airbnb based on other Airbnbs in the area. And these lenders will take that data and then they will they will debt service it based mm-hmm. on that number. So it's a much higher number than renting to a single family. Now, I'm not very bullish on Airbnbs right now, but I'll still underwrite it as an Airbnb, mm-hmm. get the loan, and then I'll convert it and do co-living. Yeah. And then you my loan officer was listening to this. I'm not sure he'd be super happy about that, (laughs) but he actually knows is the Uh truth. He knows he's told me he's been like, yeah, like this is the only way, this is the only way you're going to really get this loan is if you underwrite it based on an Airbnb. So, so that's been, I mean, probably the last six or seven or eight, that's how I've done. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. Underwriting it on short-term rental income. I got one quick question here for you, Sam. So when you, I mean, it sounds like you scaled pretty quickly. Where were you sourcing the capital uh, for these down payments, were you potentially using HELOCs or lines of credits from other properties, or was this just cash flow coming from your business? Yeah, I was a, I was a good, I was a really good saver, and so the first, keep in mind, the first five or six, I scaled through like three and a half percent. So and and homes were a little cheaper back then. So, you know, two or three hundred thousand dollar home, three three percent, five percent, and we were fifteen. That that I could save pretty easily. Um, so I I did that uh, for the first five, and and that was kind of my scrappy play. Um, and then from there, I just would put, it was like, I would just live on a, a ton less than I, than I needed to live. You know, I would just really, really, really scrimp by, um, and save a ton. That was, that was literally my investment strategy. So I had my little cash cow, which I think is an important piece of people's journey of like having something that's bringing in money, living on way less than that. And keep in mind, I was living with a bunch of roommates. I was getting, I didn't have housing expenses. And then every time, as soon as I'd get enough for another one, I'd go buy it. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as I get enough for another one, I'd go buy it. And what's great about real estate is, and my, one of my mentors told me this, he's like, start so slow, man. It's so slow, so slow, 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 so slow. Um, and then I'd get some investors, like my wife invested a good chunk. She got an inheritance. Um, this was you know two, three years ago. So we'd scaled a decent amount at that point. She got an inheritance and she invested it in co-living and allowed me to invest it into co-living stuff and some Airbnbs. 
So that was a that was a big kind of hockey stick growth there. But but I treated it like she was an investor. I didn't just take the money. We actually wrote up a contract and like I said, hey, here's your money. You're gonna be here's what you're gonna own. And so I kind of treated it like that. And I've had a family member give me some cash too for just like a hard money loan. I pay him seven percent on my brothers. Mm-hmm. Gave me a hundred grand to just invest. Um for I think it was three years, two or three years that he gave it to me for. So, um, and now what we've seen is as I've been able to build, I just got through my first phase of selling off a bunch of properties. And selling has been so fun because (laughs) what happens is you're able to just take some of this cash and then it's amazing to see the hockey stick growth now of taking properties that you've owned for five, six, seven, eight years, seeing that appreciation, pulling that out and taking what was in what the money that was stuck in one property, the equity that was stuck in one property and invested into five, mm. you know, and allowed that to buy four more, five more. And so there I think is the real hockey stick growth is if, if you can be patient for that first 10 years, sounds like a long time, but maybe even less, maybe seven to 10 years. Yeah. And then there is a time I think where it comes, I'll give you an example of this on the same street on Yorkdale drive in Charlotte, North Carolina, I sold a four bedroom co-living house and I sold it for $400,000. I went down the exact same street and bought a house for $410,000, a little worse condition, but it, we, we just started rehabbing it today. It will be a 10 bedroom home. Wow. <laughs> so take like those types of trades where I'm like, I'm going to sell this four bedroom and I'm going to, I'm going to buy this. Cause you learn right mm-hmm. now. I have a better understanding too. So I'm deploying more knowledge. I'm deploying capital and yeah. being able to move in that direction, I think is really, really key to level up That's did, awesome. on that strategy. Did you do a 1031 exchange so that you didn't have to pay taxes on the income that, that you made on that property or, or are you okay with that? I didn't, I didn't t- do a 1031 exchange because I had just bought, I had bought like five or six properties the year before. Okay. Um, and so I was able to bonus depreciate all of those properties mm. and I was able to write off a lot of the sales. That's good. That's, That's good. Awesome. Yeah. I think, I think something that doesn't get a good enough, um, if you're a person of integrity and you're a studier and you're a learner, then there are, I believe there are always people that know, like, and trust you that will lend you money. Um, to, to get started in real estate. Like I believe that money is like air, it's everywhere. It's mm-hmm. a little saying that I just kind of consistently say to myself whenever I start to feel really tight around money or my, my mindset starts to get constricted. Like money's like air, it's everywhere. And if you have the right strategy mm-hmm. that you believe in and that, that will make cash flow, then I absolutely think it's, it's ethical and it's right to ask other people and give them the opportunity to invest in that. That could be partnering with you I think that's one strategy, but a strategy I'm I'm also really keen on is just going to people that have money sitting in a bank account and giving them 7% on it because they're getting 2%, mm-hmm. you know, and saying, hey, I'd like to borrow this for two to three years. I'm going to buy two co-living properties. And then at the end, you know, or I'd like to borrow this money for two to three years. I'm going to pay you 7%. Obviously, you have to run your numbers to make sure your deal can support this. And at the end of those three years, I'm either going to have another investor cash you out or I'll sell one of the properties or I'll refinance and, and pay you off. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just doing deals like that, I'm really, they're really, um, I'm bullish on those types of deals because I just think they're simple and they're easy and they're a win-win for both parties. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's awesome. And Sam, I know that you've been um, sharing your knowledge and teaching 
uh, as now, like with all the experience that that you have in co-living, now you're on a path of teaching and helping others. Can you share a little bit about that? What what you have going on, and uh, and also how people uh, that may want to learn more uh, on the co-living space can can learn from you. Yeah, man, I really <clears throat> I really believe, as Robert Kiyosaki said five or six years ago, you know, co-living is the wave of the future. We're seeing it really take off, and I hope more people embrace it because it's it's a, an amazing win for investors. It's one of the highest cash flowing assets if done correctly out there in the marketplace today. And it's also a huge win. Um, the US Department for Housing and Urban Development just came out, it was last year, they came out with a statement basically saying that they believe co-living will help solve affordable housing. And that all municipalities need to like basically do whatever they gotta do to make it legal and make it right. Um, and so it's helping people that need housing. And it's just helping people. Um, and so so I, that that's why I really believe it's a big win-win. But uh, yeah, I'm just teaching people how to acquire these homes, how to find them, how to find the right deals, how to do them correctly, how to keep the homes clean and quiet and safe, and just how to do it in a way where they're not making a bunch of mistakes and having to make all the mistakes I made over 13 years of doing co-living stuff, right? Um, and so if someone's interested in that, then uh, scaleyourrealestate.com is, 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 is where they can go to kind of learn a little bit more about my story and also find out what the next event or... A virtual event that we're hosting is scaleyourrealestate.com, right? Yeah, cool, cool, Sweet. cool. And uh, dude, and then we also had you as a guest at the uh, at the Fine Investors in Puerto Rico. Uh, Let's it was go. an I'm honor. The shirt. Yes, you're wearing the <laughs> shirt representing Fine Investors Puerto Rico, dude. Um, you're a salsa. One of the reasons why I invited you is because you're a salsa dancer. Yeah. House hacking, like <laughs> real estate, co-living. Like we started the same thing with like abundance and everything. So everything just fell into place. But uh, for the audience here, can you remind or can you let them know how how it all started uh, when you said yes to uh, yeah, to coming sure. to Puerto Rico? Well, one of the one of the reasons I love hanging out with you guys so much is that uh, you guys are just so fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's true and, too. And case case in point, <laughs> the first night of the mastermind, and I'll tell how it all started. But yeah. first night of the mastermind. Diego, like very, very seriously, like he should as a leader, gets up and is like, all right, guys, like, like no parting tonight because like we got a big weekend ahead and we're going to and like it was not 30 minutes later that someone was like, yeah, but there's salsa dancing tonight. Diego's like, ah, screw it. We're going salsa. <laughs> oh, man. But we had a blast. Two, we had a two a.m. later. Everybody's having a blast. It was just a great time. Diego, you you are one of the, you know, you both you because Ward, you were there and you were a huge piece of this. But like both of you guys are doing such a great job at cultivating. And this is what we talked about, like the art of fulfillment, right? Like mm -hmm. who, who cares if you're like just multi multi-millionaire, but you're not having fun. And you guys do such an amazing job of combining growth and 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 love and connection between your your community that you guys are building and like let's freaking have fun. And I I need to learn a lot more about that because my wife will tell you I'll just be up in this office all day, right? <laughs> um, so thank you. Uh, and I wasn't drinking that week either, so it was tough. I was like, I'm not drinking. Everybody's like, it's just such a great time. But um, yeah, man, Diego, I, I'll never forget, man. You give me a call and and and. Uh, said, uh, Sam, I want you, I want you to be, you know, you know, uh, the millionaire case study at my event in Puerto Rico. And, and I was like, okay, you know, the normal talk, like get, get, give me the dates. What's the dates. And you're like, but there's, and then Diego's like, but there's one more thing. Here's how I'm going to interview you. I'm going to be sitting on a yacht 
off the coast of Puerto Rico at an island off the coast of Puerto Rico with the with the tropical landscape behind and the beach. And we're all going to be there. I'm going to interview you on this yacht in the middle of the ocean at this little island. And I'm just like, uh, yeah, I'll figure out a way to say yes to this. Let's freaking go. <laughs> yes. Yes. And what's crazy, <laughs> and then, dude. What I didn't know is that you had no plan for a yacht you just got off the phone with me called your buddy was like uh guys uh we got to get a yacht now <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what happened exactly that i was like oh he said yes now i need to figure it out how this is gonna happen and right. uh but we did make it happen and we have a picture of us too like with the background in vieques and it was just like it was amazing it was amazing yeah, that was... Uh, you crushed that event, guys. You that crushed was, that event. Uh, so fun. Sam, kudos to you for coming out, man. That was one of the best millionaire case studies that I've I've ever heard. And uh, just so picturesque. The, the, the value thank and you. the knowledge that you dropped was amazing. And it was uh, such a memorable experience. So thank you again for coming out, man. You got Thanks. it. Thanks for creating magical moments, man. It Both was, of you. It was awesome. Job. It was awesome. And we are going to be planning one um, for Austin in September. Uh, it hasn't go. been announced yet or anything um, yet, um, but I'll definitely tell you a little bit more on that. Uh, so okay. excited for excited for that one. But Sam, uh, as we wrap up here, uh, what is next for you? Like what? Uh, like what's what's gonna be your way of like like if twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four is a great one? Um, what what does that look like for Sam Wigger? Yeah. Well, I believe, and I hope people take this to heart. I think one of the beliefs, whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter. The belief really helps me is that the best is yet to come. Mm -hmm. And so I think thinking for all of us, the best is yet to come is a, is a really important little belief to just, or a little affirmation that I say to myself a lot. But, um, you know, I, I think of any time in history, now is the time where people need to take control of their life and take control of their finances. And um, I just am a firm believer that we are going to go that things are going to get way worse before they get better. I just think I just I'm not a doomsdayer too much, but like just thinking, think, seeing everything that's happening in the global economy. So for me, the reason I shared that as a belief is because I am. That's what I believe. I believe the economy is going to get worse before it gets better. And so I believe that I need to double down on what the the world will need in two to three to four years from now. And I 100 percent believe that is co living. Mm -hmm. I think housing is already a crisis, but I think housing will be even more of a crisis in the next few years. Again, that's my belief. So I'm just going all in on what I believe is basically what I'm trying to say. And that is building co-livings from the ground up. Uh, so building, teaching people how to do it, and then managing them. So build, teach, manage is my little model. Build, teach, manage. And it's all around co-living, man. That's what we're doing. We're spreading the word. And... Um, we're helping people get back in a great place to live where they have built-in community that's clean, that's quiet and safe. And I just want to keep spreading the word on that. Yeah. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. And one yeah. of the one of the questions that I have for you, Sam, um, what does financial independence mean me uh, what does financial independence mean to you? Mm. Yeah, I mean, the, my traditional answer is like it just means I get to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want. That's ultimate financial independence, right? Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, for me, it just means I get to work when I, I get to work on the things that are most meaningful to me and what I feel like are the most meaningful to the world. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, and I'm not I'm not having to do a job because I have a mortgage to pay. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm I get to work. I still get to work, and I work a lot. Um, but I get to work on the things that I just feel like are most meaningful. And that's a beautiful choice. That's a beautiful place to be. 
I'm really grateful to have to be at that to be at that place. Yeah, that's awesome. And then before we end here, we do like to end each of these episodes with a quick lightning round. We've got four questions here for you. Sam, let's are you go. ready, man? Yeah, man, let's go. I'm ready for the lightning round. All right. What was your biggest hurdle with getting started in real estate investing and what and how did you overcome that? Yeah, I would say uh, my biggest hurdle with getting start over started in real estate investing and how did I overcome that? There's so many hurdles. It's hard to think of the <laughs> biggest one. <laughs> so that's, that's why that question's tripping me up. Um, I, I would say just picking a strategy. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. picking a strategy on how I'm going to do it. Airbnb, short-term rentals, mid-term rentals, da da da, da. Like I, I'd say that and, and how I overcame that was by finding mentors and getting coaching and asking everybody I knew and leaning into what was working at the time, which, I, which was co-living. Awesome. And then do you have a personal habit that attributes to your success? Recently, uh, meditation, meditation, and, and it could be moving meditation. I'm not talking like sitting at, with my like, like, like this. I'm talking like going for a walk in the woods, being my meditation, or just getting out and having solace and thinking and pondering and journaling. So I, I'd say that I'd say that's a that's a big one for me right now. I love that man. Okay, second to last one here. What is one book that you read recently that had that had the most impact in your life? Hmm. hmm. What about reading recently? Um. I read the, uh, the, the the principles, twelve principles to live by by Jordan Peterson. I think that's the name of the book. Yes. Anyway, Jordan Peterson writes this book, Twelve Principles to Live By. I think is the name of the book, and it's just um, it's a great deep book about like principles that you should be basing your life on that are just timeless. That's been a really good one. I love it. I love it. And our final question here: If you could go back, what advice would you give to your twenty-year-old self? Oh. <laughs> everything we've been saying in this podcast, I'd just be like, don't take life too seriously. Like no one gets out alive anyway. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. Like, like f- f- be, have fun, which you which I feel, I feel like I've learned from you guys have fun, um, focus on fulfillment, uh, and the journey and, and not just success. I, 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 I was, I was very one focused, you know, at the, at that 20 year old stage of life. And I, and I, I would, I would be more relaxed and more loving to people. I think if I could go back and do it all over again. Mm, awesome. That's interesting. That's interesting. Sam, and, uh, one last thing to wrap up. Um, I know that we've mentioned Tony Robbins a lot and you and I went to an event. Um, it was, um, the, it was in 2017 or 2018. Yeah. It was six days with Tony Robbins jumping up and down yeah. till three or four in the morning. And then yeah. we would go back, right, and talk about everything. Um, having Tony as one of your mentors, right, as learning yeah. and everything. I know that we talked about it, but what is like, what is the one thing that you've taken uh, the most out of out of his teaching that you've implemented in your life? Yeah, I would say I'll give two. Two come to mind. One is one we've already like I think hit home really hard to this 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 episode, which is uh, art of fulfillment. Is just he he says he says it more powerfully. I'll say mm-hmm. it how he says it. He says success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. Mm-hmm. Like imagine having everything, being successful, and you're not happy. You're the freaking worst failure in the world because you have everything. At least if you didn't have everything and you're complaining, that's one thing, but you have everything. You know, We live in America and we're, we're, we're successful just to live in America. So I think that that's a really powerful way that he says that. I don't, make, I don't say that to make anybody feel bad, but I'm just saying for people to balance out their achievement of success with living a fulfilled life. So I think that's one thing. And then the second thing that Tony is just so good at doing um, is is he has the saying that if you get in your head, you're dead. 
Mm-hmm. And so much of us live in our heads, meaning we're pondering, we're thinking, we're trying to create solutions, da, 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 da. But, but a true full life comes from dropping a little lower and like living and making more heart-based decisions, which I was hanging out with Jay the other day. We were in Miami and she came out and hung out with us. And she was saying, we were talking about you, Diego. And we were just like, that's why we all love Diego, you know? And Ward, you fall in that same boat, man. It's like, <laughs> you guys are just guys that make decisions from your heart, um, which means that you put like people above profits, right? Which means you're gonna, um, you're going to make decisions more from a place of like love and connection and expansion than you are from what your head a lot of times focuses on, which is like protection and security and, you know, and fear. Um, And so really finding that balance is something I've learned from Tony a lot. Like you can't just let your head, you know, and your brain run the whole show. You have to come back um, to, to your heart. Um, and, and that's, that's, that's been big for me, man. Yeah. I'd say those are a couple of the biggest things. That's huge. That's huge. Cause it's all at the end of the day, it's all about focusing and, um, living your life from abundance. I feel like yes. that has been one of the, one of the things that has helped me the most, right? Cause like if you're in your head, you're thinking about every little thing, uh, that may go wrong, like monetarily or whatever. But I feel yes. like if you come, if you attack life, right. From, from the abundance mentality, uh, you just begin to see things in different ways and yes. you get to see more opportunities, um, rather than thinking, Oh, this is not going to work for me. Yeah. It's, uh, the saying is, uh, you don't ever get beyond a. You don't ever get beyond scarcity. You have to start. How does it? Oh no! How does it go? You don't get beyond abundance, right? You start. You have to start there. I think it's basically what I hear you saying is like, if we can start with a foundation of abundance, mm-hmm. then the rest is gravy, right? Yeah. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Sam, thank you very much. I know uh, we ran a little bit over, but I really appreciate you guys, your time. Yeah. And, uh, dude, I, I'm really looking forward to hanging out with you again. I, I have to say this story because, um, I, I was like, oh my gosh. So go. you called me, uh, like about a month ago and you're like, Diego, do you want to go on a private yacht? I mean, on a private plane, oh. on a private plane, <laughs> yeah. do you want to go on a private plane? We'll go from like Charlotte to Miami for a day, come hang out. And I was like, dude, I would love to, but I can't. It's mother's day weekend so i have to like i already had all this plan with with my mom in chicago which was an amazing trip yeah. uh awesome. but dude i was like i told you i was like you i called you to come on a, on a yacht and then you called me to come on a <laughs> private plane and i i had to say no but uh next time bro i'll say yes a hundred percent absolutely so i'll give you i'll try to give you a little bit more notice next time we're taking a jet <laughs> yes yes but what what's really cool about that uh and it came to me i was like holy crap like those are like, it's really cool to know because you said, hey, I have one spot left and I want you to be it, right? And I was like, oh my gosh, what an honor, number one. Uh, but number two is like, what an incredible opportunity um, for, for that and that you can do that too with your friends and everything. So so it's super inspiring from that perspective. But Sam, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, I know that the audience are going to leave here like super inspired to take on and, and uh, to learn more. Uh, Scale your real estate.com, yeah, right. And Sam on Wiegert, Instagram, samweegert.com at samweegert on Instagram or samweegert.com as well as another place. But yeah, Instagram's a great way to connect with me as well. Cool, Sam. Thank you very much. And Ward, pleasure to have you here as well. As always, Sam, thank you so much, man. Loved diving into your story. Um, I've learned a lot. I know our audience just received massive value, dropped lots of knowledge bombs, and uh, we can't wait to uh, see you here soon. See you, Ward. See you, Diego. Love you guys. Peace. Love you, brother. We'll talk soon. Bye.
Thank you for listening to the Fi Investors Podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And share this with a fellow real estate investor who you think would find value in what we do. Until next time. Until next time.